Hey, thanks for downloading and listening to the New Life Church Downtown Podcast. We'd love to stay connected on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock or TikTok at NLC Downtown. We have devotionals, audio from our weekend messages, conversations about big topics and culture today, and lots of options for you to become a disciple of Jesus. We aren't just a Sunday church. We want to be here for you Monday through Saturday too. Looking forward to getting to know you better. You know, we're in this series. Pastor Blake kicked it off last week. I was supposed to be here, uh, but a lot of you guys know uh, one of my sons, I've got twin sons, uh, Judah Man, uh, had some health stuff happen and had to be in the hospital. And so uh, Blake jumped in and preached for me and kicked off the series and talked about Jesus as the good shepherd. Jesus is the only shepherd who became the sheep, okay? Jesus became the sheep. He, he was slaughtered on, on our behalf. So we have a leader who stepped in for us. And we're, we're going to continue to talk about that today. But I think, okay, today we're going to do a little bit of class. Is that okay? Did y'all bring notebooks with you? Get ready because this is going to be boring, but it's going to be dense, okay? Uh, hopefully it's not boring. But I looked at my notes last night and I was like, I've written a lecture. Uh, and so I threw in some inappropriate jokes. And so hopefully that helps break it up. Um, but we're, we're going to talk about the offices of Jesus. I think, so we, we've spent the first half of the year looking at the practices of Jesus. We've talked about how if we want the power of Jesus, we have to adopt the principles and the, pra- and the practices of Jesus. Uh, but I also think if we want to walk in the ministry of Jesus, we have to understand the ministry that he walked in. We have to understand the things that he did and why he did them. Uh, and so Jesus operated in three primary Old Testament offices. He, he, he operated in the office of the prophet, the priest and the king, the prophet, the priest and the king. And so the prophet declared God, God's word. The priest ministered to God and people and the king led with authority. And so the prophets, you have Moses and you have Elijah and Elisha. Hard to keep those two straight. Uh, lots of others. The priest, uh, you have Melchizedek. Everybody say Melchizedek five times fast. Uh, he's the prince of peace, the prince of Salem. Um, and then you have Aaron, you know, he becomes a priest and there's, there's high priests. There's all those different things. We're going to talk about that next week. And then you have the Kings. That's going to be a blast. That'll be the last week. And we're going to talk about King David and Saul and, um, Solomon and, and, and that'll be a lot of fun. But this week, what we're going to do is the sermons probably should be two sermons, but I haven't slept a lot. And so here we are. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the office of the prophet and we're going to look at how it's misused. We're going to look at the biblical intention of it. And then we're going to dig into a specific story of Jesus operating in the giftings of a prophet. And we're going to see what happens when Jesus walks in those offices. Amen. And so I, I think that there's some things for us. There's things for us to learn as people who are filled with the spirit and people who are trying to become like Christ. Amen. Okay, so go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Who's got their Bible with them? Come on. You're going to have a bigger house in heaven. Look at all these mansions in heaven. All these other suckers with their phones. Hmm. You'll have a hovel, you know, but you'll be there. You made it. I'm, making, I'm saying a lot of things today. <laughs> None of that is biblical, by the way. Those are just jokes. If you're new here, a new Christian, you're like... Okay, bring my Bible next week. I got it. Uh, Okay, Matthew 7, verse 28, and we're going to let this bleed into chapter 8. So verse 28, I'm in the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. 
It says, when Jesus finished these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers for religious law. Chapter 8. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him and said, Lord, the man said, if you're willing, you can make, you can heal me and you can make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and we're gonna jump into it. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's, it's your letter to us for us to know you and for us to walk in who we've been designed and called to be. And so God, this morning, help us know you better, Jesus. And through that, help us understand ourselves better. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Uh, well, I, I moved to Arkansas in 2009. Um, I didn't know that this was the promised land, but apparently this is the promised land. It's where God's spirit dwells. And so I moved here and immediately started wrestling with depression. <laughs> and, and I was depressed. And uh, I'll tell you why in a little bit after the story. It's actually kind of comical. Depression's not funny, but how I dealt with it is. Uh, and so I was in this place where I'm just depressed and I'm needing a touch from God. I don't know if anybody's ever been, been there, maybe just me. I know you guys are encouraged all the time. And uh, I heard that there was a revival happening uh, at a church about six hours away. And so I got my friends and I said, y'all, there's a revival happening in this city. I'm not going to tell you what city because I don't want you to know what church it is. <laughs> and uh, we're going to jump in a car and we're going to travel to this church and we're going to be a part of this revival. And I just was in a place where I was desperate for a touch from God. And so we jump in the car, we drive six hours, we get there and y'all, it was like Bonnaroo Music Festival, except for it was weirder. Uh, it, it was it was whiter. Somehow it was more white. Uh, it was like a West Virginia family reunion. I can rip on West Virginia because that's where my family hails from. And it was like people were river dancing. It was just the strangest thing that I'd ever been to. And I said, okay, I'm going to keep an open mind here. Uh, I'm not going to be judgmental. God's moving. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to stay open to this. But as it kept going, like as somebody who's, you know, read the Bible and studied church, there was just some things I couldn't ignore. Like it wasn't just the weird dancing, but it was like people were speaking in tongues from the platform with no interpretation. Uh, there were prophetic words that were going out. There was no order to it. Um, there was no awareness of unbelievers in the room, which is Paul taught us and said, hey, when you have gatherings and there's, there's tongues, there needs to be interpretation if it's going to be public or else that's private and that only edifies you. Uh, if, if there's a prophetic word, there needs to be an order and a structure to it. And, and so all this is happening. And again, I'm desperate. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, like maybe this is God. I'm, I'm ignoring my Bible study, my schooling. And I'm like, maybe God's here. And the straw that broke the camel's back is this guy starts moving towards me because there's basically like a prophetic mosh pit happening, okay? And what that is is there's just like people, like at random, like praying over people and people are falling out. And this guy comes to me, and I don't know the nicest way to say this, but I, I could tell like he wasn't in his best days. I don't know if that makes any sense. He wasn't, he, he, he wasn't doing great in life. And so he comes up to me and he puts his finger on my forehead and I'm like, okay. Like, I'm here. I'm here for this. 
And he starts praying over me and declaring over me some of the most irrelevant things that I'd ever heard. It was like, you know, it, it, a, a total stranger normally would have been able to find something that was relevant, but it was like there was not one thing relevant. I'm just getting more and more frustrated, and he's pushing on my forehead. And, like, if you've been around the charismatic movement, like, he's wanting me to go down, right? He's wanting me to, like, fall out in the spirit. And I'm like, dude, there's a 0% chance. Like, you need to wrap this thing up because this is not helping me. And so I'm like, I see the modesty blankets being given out, and I want one of those, but not bad enough to fake it. And so, honestly, like, in this, like, I, I, I walked off, and I got back in, in the back, and I, I turned to my Bible and started reading about, like, order of gatherings and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, like, there's really nothing here. And I just got more depressed, honestly. And my buddies, I was like, hey, I'm ready to go when you're ready to go. And I made those guys drive all the way back all six hours through the night. I didn't drive for a second. I slept in the back seat. And uh, true story. And honestly, like, I wonder if you can relate to that. You know, I, I wonder if you've ever had times where you're like, man, I really need to hear from God. Like, or maybe somebody said something to you that was from God that didn't come to pass. And you're like, did I miss it? Or did they miss it? Or, or what's going on here? And, and the truth is, when we think about prophecy, a lot of times false prophecy comes to mind. And we start thinking about modern prophets, and we start thinking about, like, cult leaders, like, you know, Charles Manson and, you know, David Koresh and Jim Jones and, you know, whatever. And then we start thinking about, like, all the Y2K prophecies. Who lived through that, Right. We're still here, right? Uh, the Mayan prophecies, like 2012, everything's going to end when the calendar runs out, you know? Political prophecies, uh, prophecies about diseases that are going to go away, when they're going to go away. And at some point, it's like, I just don't know if I can trust this at all. But when we look at the scripture, the Bible lays out a very different type of prophecy, a prophecy that's much more trustworthy. And I'll say this because I told you I would. The reason I was dealing with depression so bad is because I was so poor. Me and my roommate were going to, to Walmart and buying the cheapest noodles you could buy and the cheapest pasta sauce you can buy, and we're living on noodles and pasta sauce. And apparently, I was malnourished, and I needed a multivitamin. I, I called one of my mentors, and I was like, I don't know what's going wrong with me. I'm depressed. He's like, tell me about your diet. Tell me about your exercise. Tell me about going outside. I'm like, I don't go outside. I don't exercise. And I literally eat pasta with no meat and no vegetables. He's like, maybe, maybe spring for a multivitamin. A couple days. I was back on the mountain. Callie remembers because she was trying to date me during all this. Uh, I was a catch, people. Y'all, the, the prophecy in the Bible is so different from all these things, from what, what I saw. What, what we often see with modern prophets, right, modern prophets, is they have uh, personal agendas they're pushing. They're ma amassing personal fortunes. And they're gaining followers who are devoted to them. What we see in the Bible are prophets who are moving God's agenda forward. Often, instead of personal gain, it's coming at high personal cost, sometimes even to death. And they're gaining followers, listen to this, who are deeply devoted to God. I heard a quote recently. I was listening to a pastor speak, and he said, one of the hardest things in ministry is when people encourage you, figuring out what to do with it. And I think it was John Wesley who said, uh, keep the encouragement, but deflect the glory. 
take the encouragement for yourself, but give the glory to God. And so one thing that we see in prophets is that's what they do. When you get around them, you don't think they're amazing. You think, how amazing is God? Prophecy is the most common means God used to communicate with his people throughout biblical history. The story of prophecy from Genesis to Revelation is the story of God speaking to his people through human messengers. And thus, it's the story of God's varying relationship with his people and with others. Speaking through the prophets, God guided kings, he warned the people, he healed the sick, he predicted the future, he interpreted events, and he demonstrated that he alone was both the ruler of history and a God who relates personally with his people. Prophets were messengers carrying a message directly from God, received through visions, dreams, and dwelling in the Holy Spirit are directly from the mouth of God. They spoke God's word, they guided God's people, they healed the sick, they spoke words of knowledge, and they spoke of the future. You know, it's interesting, when we look at Jesus, he did all of these things. Words of knowledge is one of the most manipulated gifts that can possibly happen. Uh, I've seen this be totally false. And this week, y'all, you can't make this stuff up. I've been planning this message on prophecy for like two months. And uh, Friday, I got a call from my pastor. He said, hey, uh, we've got a guy coming in and he operates in the gift of the prophetic. And I want you to pick him up. And I'm like, no, find somebody else. Like, I don't want want that guy reading reading my mail, whatever. And so I went, went and picked him up. And, you know, it was one of the most amazing things I've been a part of. He has never met me. He spoke about my kids, which I couldn't have described him any better. He spoke about the things that we've been through as a community, the things that Callie and I have been through personally. He spoke to the future things that are in my heart that nobody else knows. And it was absolutely amazing. And, and here's what struck me about it. It glorified God. Words of knowledge, listen, if it's authoritative, it's something that's true and it's something that glorifies God. So Jesus spoke words of knowledge. Think about the woman at the well in John chapter four. What'd she say? She said, I met a man who told me everything I ever did, right? So Jesus operated in this. Jesus guided the people. He told the disciples, be known for your love. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, be a servant. That's guidance. He healed people. He healed the sick. He healed the demon possessed. He healed the outcast. He restored people. And he spoke God's word. Now, here's what's interesting and what's amazing about Jesus. Every other prophet speaks for God. Jesus spoke as God. Every other prophet speaks the word of the Lord. Jesus came and became the word of the Lord. John chapter 1. Let's look at this. The gospel of John chapter 1, verse 1. This is what it says about Jesus. It says, in the beginning was the what? And the what? Was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, that's Jesus. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness shall not overcome it. What does this mean? Listen, we talk about prophets. Jesus is not just another prophet. He's not just another teacher. He is the prophet. Jesus is the teacher. He is the prophet that every other prophet points to. If you go back and study, which this week I did, I'll save you some time but you can do it if you want. Go study the prophets in the Old Testament. Elisha is one of the most interesting. Elisha asked for a double portion of the blessing that was on Elijah. So Elisha asked for the double portion of the blessing that was on Elijah, and he did some pretty amazing things. One of the things that he did that I think is the most remarkable is he he fed 100 men with 20 loaves. Does that sound familiar? Jesus fed 5,000 men with two loaves and with five fish. He, he raised a woman from the dead. Now, this is amazing to me how he did it. He laid hand to hand, 
mouth to mouth, chest to chest, leg to leg, on the person who is dead and raise them to life. Jesus is the prophet who became close to death. He took death himself. He didn't just lay on death. He became death. He became the punishment on our behalf. He went to hell, and he rose on the third day again. Jesus is the ultimate prophet who has ever lived. He's the, be- he's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He's the alpha, and he's the omega. He had the first word, and he'll have the last word. This is who Jesus is. He is the ultimate prophet who God sent. He is the God-man. He is God in flesh who came to live the perfect life. He is the perfect prophet. And he came to teach us how to do the same thing. And so what what we're going to do here is we're going to look at how Jesus functioned in this office and what it means for us. Here's what we're going to look at in our text today. Number one, Jesus came to heal our disease. Number two, Jesus came to restore us to God and others. And number three, Jesus calls us to go and do the same. Um, (laughs) Okay, I got to tell a story on myself. Um, Y'all remember growing up, I shouldn't tell this, but I'm going to. Uh, you start in diapers, right? And then you graduate to what, parents? Pull-ups. What's after pull-ups? That's big boy underwear, right? So I was a stubborn kid. My mom's here. Was I stubborn? <laughs> but I was fiercely logical, okay? <laughs> and so in my mind, when you graduate from pull-ups, you go to big boy underwear, and the next logical step is no underwear, Right? <laughs> And so I hit about seven years old, and uh, I said, no, I not wear that anymore. Uh, I, I don't need that anymore. I'm a big boy. And so I was wearing my umbros, right? Where are my 90s kids at? You had to have some umbros. And no underwear, free as a bird. And so uh, I was friends with the pastor's son. And so I, they took me to the pastor's house, again, flying free. And my mom, I remember getting into their car. And it was either you or Pastor Walt, I can't remember, was like, are you sure you don't need any underwear. And I said, I'm a big boy. I've got this. All right. So we get to the dollar store and somehow I find myself alone and I need to go to the bathroom. Well, I know what to do. You ask, go to the bathroom. But instead of going to find Pastor Walt, I was independent. I've been like this my entire life. I went to the attendant uh, up at the front register and I said, hey, uh, where's the restroom, ma'am? Where's your restroom? You know, little kid. And she said, it's in the back. It's over there. She pointed. She didn't walk me there. She pointed. And so I go back there and I cannot find the restroom. So I go find another person. I'm like, hey, where's the restroom? They point again, don't take me. And I'm like, where's the restroom? I can't find it. I go back and forth like five or six times. And finally, (laughs) I poop my pants. (laughs) And I'm sorry, this is graphic. But it was like flowing magma down my leg, wrapped around my, I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) If you're new here, I don't normally tell stories like this, but I needed an illustration. And so... (laughs) It wraps around my leg, it's halfway down my thigh, and I'm crying and limping around the Dollar General, and Pastor Walt finds me. And of course, he's furious, right? Big boy, you know, there you are, big boy. And so he takes me, the reason I couldn't find the bathroom is because they had their, you know, their boxes, their extra stock stacked up, and I was too small, I couldn't see it. And so he ends up helping me. Y'all, what we're going to see today, (laughs) it's going to connect. What we're going to see today is someone who found themselves in a mess, but they went to the right person for help, right? 
They weren't so prideful when they found themselves, when they recognized, hey, I'm in a mess that I can't get myself out of. And they went and found the person who could actually help them. Now, if I'd gone to Pastor Walt right away, if I yelled, if I'd done anything I could do, I would not have found myself in that predicament. And so let's look at what happens. We're in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. <laughs> Jesus heals our disease. Number one. Or verse 1 says, large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me. Now notice, there's two things here. You can heal me and you can make me clean. Jesus reached out and he touched him. I'm willing, he said, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, if, if you look here, this is just a quick aside. Do you all remember any Old Testament prophets who, after hearing a word from God, came down to deliver the word, and they encountered brokenness at the bottom of the mountain? Does that sound like anything? Moses, right? He gets the Ten Commandments. He comes carrying the Ten Commandments. There he finds the Israelites doing what? Worshiping a golden calf, right? Can you imagine just as a leader, like you've led these guys out of Egypt, you've plundered the Egyptians on the way out, and then these geniuses took the gold that God gave them, melted it down, and created an idol for themselves. Now, again, don't judge them too hard. We're going to talk about modern idolatry in the fall, and that's going to be a blast. But What's interesting is what happens is Moses takes this idol, he grounds the idol down, and he makes them drink it. (laughs) You know what that reminds me of? Any of you guys get caught smoking cigarettes as like a teenager, and your parents are like, oh, you think cigarettes are cool, huh? Think idols are cool. I'm going to make you smoke the whole pack, right, until you get sick. That is what Moses is doing here. Now, what's interesting is here we see Jesus coming down off his mountain. He encounters the brokenness of man. But instead of punishing the man, he heals the man, right? He encounters the brokenness of humanity, and he brings healing. Deuteronomy 18, 15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, this is Moses speaking, from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. When Christ encounters this person with leprosy, okay, let's talk about leprosy a bit. I didn't realize this until I was studying this. Leprosy did not have a treatment until 1940. Did you all know that? We had leper colonies in the United States. You know what the best leper colony was? Hawaii. All right? Can you imagine? If, if you got to go suffer and die, send me to Hawaii, right? Like, if I got to die, sign me up for that. And so there's this whole leper colony of people in 1860. They sent them to Hawaii, this enormous leper colony. And listen, this is how recent leprosy is in our history. As of 2015, there were still six people living in that same leper colony. Because once they banished you to the leper colony, even if you got healed, you didn't have to leave. Okay? Not the worst situation. But in ancient times, it wasn't the same. Uh, Leprosy was a disease that started internally and it worked its way externally. It was an incredibly slow-moving disease often. It took between 1 and 20 years to become symptomatic. Once you became symptomatic, it attacked your nerves. It started on the inside, and then eventually there would be physical signs of it. On your skin, uh, it would cause eyelashes and eyebrows to fall out. It would cause numbness in the extremity due to the attacking that it did to the nerves, which would eventually lead the person to injure themselves unknowingly. It created a a burning sensation and pain in the skin. It, It caused a horrific smell. 
They said you could smell someone with leprosy from up to 30 feet away. If you had somebody in your home with leprosy, it would seep into the walls. It would seep into the fabric. It absolutely reeked, and it was a horrific disease. And so what they did is they had leopard colonies. Leopard, not leopard, leper. Leopards, what's with all these leopards? Uh, They had leper colonies outside of the city that people got banished to go to. And so here's what I want you guys to see. This is the picture. I want to enter into the text here. Imagine you're coming down off the mountain. There's a highly infectious disease that people in the community have. Those people are supposed to be banished. And this person approaches you, gets down on their knees, and starts begging for healing. Now, what do you do? You back away, right? Because you don't want to get this disease. Notice he said, if you're willing. This man had a total understanding of the state that he was in, but he was absolutely desperate for healing. In the great religious text, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. (laughs) It's not a religious text, by the way, right? This is, it's literature, This is fiction, okay, so don't judge me, but I've read it like seven times. If you're reading this story right now, earmuffs, because I'm about to ruin the entire thing for you. If you haven't read Harry Potter yet, you're probably not going to. But in this story, there's a villain named Lord Voldemort. You all familiar with Lord Voldemort? Um, and, And what Lord Voldemort is obsessed with, he's obsessed with personal glory, and he's obsessed with immortality. And so what he does is, is he's searching for ways to live forever. And he finds a bit of dark magic called a horcrux. And what a horcrux is, is it's an object that you place a bit of your soul in. But in order to do that, you have to rip your soul. The way that they rip their soul in these novels is through murders, through killing. And it says once you rip the soul, it starts to have physical ramifications. And so in the story about Lord Voldemort, it says that as he does this over and over and over again, his features get distorted and he starts to eventually not even look human. He starts to look serpent-like and his eyes are red. Your sin rips the fabric of our lives and it distorts who God's created us to be. You know, the truth is, is that not all of us have leprosy. But there is a disease that starts on the inside and it works its way outside and it does it slowly but surely and it numbs us and it disfigures us and it keeps us from looking the way that God intended us to look. I heard a pastor say one time, he said, sin takes us further down the road than we want to go. It keeps us there longer than we want to stay and it costs us far more than we ever bargained for. And I think that this is a topic in today's day and age that is so sensitive, that's so difficult to preach. But the truth is, is that every person in here, we have sin in our lives. You know what unites us as Christians is that we're all so broken and so messed up. We could never fix ourselves and we all had to come to Jesus for healing. And so what we find is, and we should find ourselves in the story, is a man who comes to the feet of Jesus and he says, I can never make myself clean, but you can. He says, if you're willing, you'll make me clean. And here's what's remarkable. And here's what I want to tell you. No matter what you're struggling with, no matter what you're going through, Jesus says, I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing to cleanse you of your guilt. I'm willing to cleanse you of your sin. And not only that, point number two, I'm willing to restore you. Jesus restores us to God and others. Let's look at verse four. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Now, this is what I love. 
So many modern prophets and miracle workers do what? They seek glory and attention. Jesus deflects glory to his father. He says, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest. Let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you've been cleansed. People who live in leper colonies lose their families, they lose their finances, and they lose their futures. Jesus healing this man, he didn't just heal him. He said, I want to be made clean. He restored him to his family. He restored him financially. He now has an opportunity to work again, and he's restored his future. The, the, the truth is, is that all of us have areas we need healing, but, y'all, there's a deep healing. Now, here's what I love, is that the, the, the truth is, is that for each one of us, there's a deep healing and there's a deep cleansing that needs to happen. This is our, our, our distance from God and man. So, okay, let's talk about Levitical law. This is going to be exciting. Are you guys ready? Y'all like Levitical law? Who skips over Leviticus in their one-year Bible plan? I suffered for you all this week, and I read through it. Leviticus 14, the cleansing of lepers, or or, or the offering that's come when you're you're cleansed of leprosy. What what the priest would do is he would take two birds, two birds that are alive, and he would take one bird, and he would cover, or he would pour spring water over it, and they would sacrifice, and they would kill that animal. They would take the other one, and they would take cedar, uh, hyssop, and some other things, and they would take that live bird, and they would dip it in the blood and the water of the bird that died, and they would let it go free. And what it represented is the total death of all the death that had been in their life, right? That, that one bird represented all the death, all the destruction, all the things that had been taken, and the second bird was set free. Y'all, that's the gospel, is Jesus is the first bird. He went to the cross. He received our punishment. When they pierced his side to see if he was still alive, what came out? Water and blood came down, and we are covered in the grace and the suffering of Jesus. And we're invited to go fly free and to become who God's called us to be. Jesus heals our disease. He restores us to our people and to our purpose. And number three, within our purpose, Jesus calls us to go out and do the exact same thing that he did. Now, here's the amazing thing about the offices of Jesus. Jesus functioned in these offices because he was full of what? The Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say? He said, I'll put my spirit upon you. I'll put my spirit in you, and you'll do even greater things than I've done. Now, when I read that often, I think, like, what's better? Am I going to be able to fly? You know, like, what's greater? Jesus, I believe, is not talking about quality but quantity. He's talking about thousands and millions of people who are filled with the exact same spirit that was in him, the exact same spirit that empowered him, and then get to go out and function in the offices that he functioned in. We're going to talk about this this week. Y'all listen to me. God has called each and every one of us to function as a prophet who declares God's word, a priest who ministers to God and people, and a king who rules alongside of Jesus. I love this quote from Tim Keller. He said, think like a prophet, serve like a priest, and plan like a king. God has placed his spirit in us, and he's called us to go out and to declare his word. I love this. There's a prophecy from Moses in uh, Numbers eleven twenty nine. Moses says this. He says, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets 
and that, his, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. That's what Jesus did. That's what came at Pentecost. That's what came in the New Testament church. It's the fulfillment of that prophecy that God's spirit would rest and stay on all people. Now, here, you'll hear me. Moses longs not for widespread prophetic gifting. We've seen that. What Moses longs for is a widespread, personal, deep, intimate relationship with God that prophecy flows from. The aim is not the gift. The aim is the gift giver. But if we get close and we get intimate, y'all listen to me. I didn't talk to the last service about this, but this is something that God's been stirring up in me. I, I believe in this past series when we talked about spiritual disciplines, I believe that God is calling us to do miraculous things, but you know where it starts? It starts in the secret place. It starts in the place where no one sees you. No one hears you. Nothing is spectacular. But you're there and you meet with God and you minister to God and you hear from God. And listen, here's the best part. You get to become like him. To go out, to speak his word, to bring healing to people and to bring restoration to broken people. You know, I was talking with my mom last night. We were going through this and I was fishing for illustrations. <laughs> and uh, she said, gosh, this would have been 20 years ago almost. They had a pastor come in and ask the question. I think it's a good question. What's the number one thing that Christians miss, that Christians neglect? What's the number one mistake that Christians make? Think about that. If you had to make a list, you don't have to yell it out loud. What would you think? We might think about sin, sexual sin, pride. We might think about hypocrisy. It's a pretty big one. He said this. Number one mistake that Christians make is they undervalue the indwelling and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in their life. Jesus said, the same spirit that was in me, I'll put in them. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same spirit that inspired the greatest story that's ever been told, the story of God, lives in you. Let that sink in for a second. And as we foster that relationship, as we properly align ourselves, like we talked about earlier, we can go out and do miraculous things. Y'all, God has called us as a church, as his church, the global church. I'm not even just talking about here. To go out and be his representatives in truth and humility and in power. And you'll listen. We've got some great things ahead of us as a church, great things that God's going to do. But it'll never happen. Listen to me. If each and every one of us don't find our place in what he's doing and what he's building. Ephesians chapter 2 says God's building a house. He's fitting each of us in brick by brick into what he's building. Y'all listen. No matter what mistakes you've made, no matter your past, no matter your struggles, no matter how torn your soul has been, no matter how disfigured you've become, God can restore you, God can heal you, and God can bring you into your purpose. Amen. He loved you. He breathed into the clay and he designed you and he built you with purpose. And I just want to speak over you. Your best days are ahead. Listen to me. With Jesus, he doesn't say it won't be hard. But he does say it'll be amazing. Your best days are ahead of your church. And so I got two questions. 
Is there anything God's speaking to you? Anything God's pulling in your heart about? And if he is, what are you going to do about it? What's he asking you to do?